morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space... There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. Welcome to Semi-Cinematic, where we watch and review films of the lowest and highest caliber. Uh, my name is Max. My name is Hunter. My name is John. Good to be with you guys again. How how how's the week been? Uh, I have uh, a lot of work, but um, I'm finding time still to watch movies. It's actually been one of the only times where I don't have to think about other stuff so it's you know i'm making time for it it's not it's just very a busy time at work it's not like too stressful it's just a lot i'm gonna go on vacation next weekend once uh i have this one project done and uh yeah this but watching um perfect distraction is watching horror films so i'm enjoying that still and uh, i'm still getting enough sleep which is good for me because if i don't i turn into a crazy person or a grumpy person, or both. So, uh, otherwise, doing pretty good. You know, it's all nothing, nothing too serious. Hunter, how are you? Oh, not too bad. It's been a, it's been kind of a wild week. The girls have been sick, and so I have two daughters, and um, I've been home with them a lot. And it can be fun, but it it can be uh, it can be kind of exhausting. <laughs> The, the joys um, of parenting. Yeah. Um, but it's been pretty good. I've been watching a good amount of movies. Not sleeping very much, but I kind of like it. I, I, I like not sleeping much, so that's been good. You'd oh. say you thrive off of the, the, the less amount of sleep you can get? Yes. Oh, for sure. It, it, could, be a, it could be a new uh, bestseller. <laughs> I would I love more of a bestseller. Less. 
Yeah. Well, jumping into yeah, what, what we've been watching. Um, what have you guys been watching? Hunter, you want to go first? Sure. All right, so I, I went on a little Sofia Coppola kick. Uh, she's she's one of my favorite directors, even though her filmography as a whole I don't love. But she just has some movies that I think are amazing. I rewatched Marie Antoinette, and I, I love Marie Antoinette. The the direction and the cinematography are amazing, and I love the the soundtrack choices. I think they're really bold, and, and they're really cool. And it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And I also, for the first time, watched The Bling Ring. And this is probably my least favorite movie mm. I've seen of hers. Um, the soundtrack does give it some energy, but nothing else in the movie really worked for me. I think that Emma Watson, I think she's a pretty terrible actress, and she's awful in this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not a fan of hers. And I, I do think it's by design, but I think it's Coppola's ugliest movie by far, just aesthetically, it's not very nice looking. Mm. Um, but yeah, have either of you seen that one? I have yeah, not. I, gave, I have seen it, and I gave it three stars and no like heart, so that's that's pretty harsh for me. So I guess that's I didn't really know, right? Yeah. Either. yeah. Pretty yeah, aggressive with that two point five. Yeah, I think it's watchable, but not rewatchable. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I watched that on Netflix. And then I followed that up with her remake of The Beguiled. And I liked The Beguiled quite a bit. I, I think Colin Farrell, he's really good in it. And the whole cast is great. And I kind of like that she made a movie that doesn't play into some of her strengths. Um, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of her movies are about... I don't know, I guess, like, ce- celebrity in a way, or... Yeah, her, she has characters in her movies that are famous, and this is just kind of a kind of an uglier movie and a little more gritty and doesn't have any of her, like, typical uh, soundtrack choices that are one of the things that make her movies so great. But I, I really enjoyed it. Did you see... Have you seen this, John? That was a three and a half no heart for me. Uh... Not sure why. Just not a Sophia Coppola <laughs> fan, no. I, I am. There, I mean, there's definitely, like Hunter said, there's some that I really, really love. Um, probably the ones she's most known for, uh, Lost in Translation and Virgin Suicides. Um, I haven't seen On the Rocks. I've seen Marie Antoinette. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet like, either. I don't remember what I, I saw it in the theater oh, that's and true, I haven't right. rated it. So uh, I'm a fan, but... I don't know. I think it was something maybe plot wise towards the end. Sometimes when I'm when I don't like how a film ends, that takes away something for me, even if I was enjoying it up to that point. Um, I do like how it's shot. And I like that it's so different from her other films, but the no heart for me. I don't know. That's uh, something must have rubbed me the wrong way. I haven't seen the original either, so I wasn't comparing it to that. Have you seen the original Hunter? Yeah, a long time ago. I don't remember it very well. Yeah, and Don Siegel directed it, I think. Yeah, and then I also watched, I rewatched Spring Breakers, which I love. I, I love Spring Breakers. I think it's funny. And I, I think it's really exciting. I, I, I love the way Corinne uses non-actors. I, I think that having 
actors that you don't recognize makes a movie like less predictable somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think when you see a familiar face, you kind of know like where a movie is willing to go. It's a bit, yeah, it's and, almost like a distraction. Like, yeah, th- this is this person. Yeah. You're kind of anticipating but, um, more what, yeah, what, like, usually certain actors are playing certain types of roles that kind of add this predictability to where their character might go if you're just being introduced to them. So when it's more people that are unknown, you kind of have no idea what's going to come next, which is can be fun for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think Spring Breakers is awesome. Uh, it's streaming on Canopy. And then the last movie I want to mention is Banditos. It's a spaghetti western directed by Massimo Delamano. And he's one of my favorite Italian genre movie directors. He directed What Have They Done to Your Daughters and What Have You Done to Solange. And I, I love those movies. And he started off as a cinematographer. He shot, I think, two Sergio Leone movies. I think the first two in the Dollars trilogy. But he's also, he's a great director. And Banditos isn't on the same level as some of his later stuff, but um, it's still worth watching. It's streaming on the Arrow channel. And that's uh, that's all I got for this week. It's got to say, I really nice. enjoyed Spring Breakers, too. I thought that was, I had a lot of fun watching that movie. And I'm not, like, it's hit or miss for me with Harmony Corinne, but I really enjoyed that one. I think it was on my top ten for the year, for that year as well. Yeah, I love it. I'm not a big Harmony Corinne fan um, overall, but yeah, I think Spring Breakers is awesome. Yeah, it was it a is, lot of fun. It's still, sure. yeah. still on the list for me, but oh. I know I have not. I know it's it uh, it's been sitting on the watch list for a uh, embarrassing amount of time, but eventually we'll we'll, we'll get around to it. It's weird. Some movies just stick on there, even though you want to watch them. You just you're just not in the right mood. Or for whatever reason, and they just kind of linger mm-hmm. for who knows how long. And then, and then sometimes you watch one finally, and you're like, "Wow, why did I wait this long? This was great." But hopefully, that's the case for you, or or not. Hopefully, it's just something that gives you a strong reaction, so we can hear about it. Exactly. I mean, it'll be a heart either way. But um, <laughs> would you heart a 1.5 max, or anything below two? It would have to be really, really bad. If it was just like a disgusting, like, why did I watch this? Maybe the heart would be revoked. But, you know, you'd, you'd have to try to get that, that, that heart revoked. You're like so, physically you know, sick the, the, cha- the, the challenge is out there. Right. If directors are listening, that is that is the challenge. I've seen one like that it, yeah. where I could barely get through it. It was so I was so grossed out or just like turned off. I think it got like a one or a half star maybe, and definitely no heart. <laughs> uh, what was that? I need to I need to look that up. Give me a second, because it's uh. Hopefully not a, a, a Event Horizon. It was not Event Horizon. Uh, That's that is good to know. That's just Hunter. <laughs> I had I had thoughts, but they weren't they're probably not as harsh as as Hunter's. <laughs> was it? Was it a str- well? We don't want to get into it too soon, but did anything surprise okay, spoilers you? Spoilers, yeah. Anything surprise you in general about the film that you uh, didn't think would? Does that makes sense. There were no alarms and no surprises. <laughs> both uh, Radiohead. 
Oh, Visitor Q is the movie I'm thinking of that I really hated by uh, Takashi. Is it? Mike. Mike, yeah. Oof. Yeah, not a fan. Rough. Rough. Very rough. I do love Audition. I, I, I'm not a big Takashi Mike fan, but uh, yeah, I, I do think Audition is, is pretty cool, though. No, Audition, I liked Audition, too. I mean, as much as you can like that experience i i gave that one four stars so yeah any movie where um a kind of from from the outside like a, a like a sweet girl who vomits in a bowl and then feeds it to somebody if that happens <laughs> it's it's an automatic four <laughs> now let's get it yeah we know the criteria that we need for the for future picks. Wow, you would love That's that movie, Max. Would yeah, uh, we'll see, we'll see. Is that a okay, tag on Letterbox? I'll, I'll pick Sweet it. Sweet girl if I have vomits to. into bowl. Is that one of the tags? <laughs> it could be a whole genre, you know. Oh gosh, <laughs> that I don't. That's not a month I'm willing to. Well, no. Never, never, <laughs> never say never. I'll, I'll never say never. I'm not gonna. Choose it personally. <laughs> uh, for my watches of the, of the week, I again continued on some of my uh, car Deborah Carr watches from the her collection on the Criterion Channel. Um, I watched Heaven Knows, Mr. Allison, uh, which was a fun one, 1957 with Robert Mitchum. Um, he is on an island, uh, which he you know, thinks he's by himself, but soon discovers that he's not. Uh, Deborah Carr is there. Um, as the last remaining civilian, she plays a nun, and they uh, are quickly the, the island is invaded by the Japanese um, army, and so that was a that was a fun one. And then I watched the uh, the grass is greener, also starring Deborah Carr and and Robert Mitchum, but also Cary Grant. Um, that one was fun. I I, I do like that was a uh, Stanley Donen film. Um, it, there's just something about I think I think his movies in general. Um, but it, it was a very silly premise. Um, Cary Grant is the husband, and Deborah Carr is, is her is is his wife, and she um, starts an affair with Robert Mitchum, and in a um, kind of attempt to win her back, Cary Grant um, gets Robert Mitchum to to agree to a duel, uh, which was kind of kind of interesting to watch. Um, so that one was fun. I don't know if you guys had seen any of those. I uh, love Stanley Donen. I, I think he's such a an awesome director from that era. He yeah. I, I mean, I'd only ever seen you know the the the, the staples of his you know uh, charade, singing in the rain, funny face, and so kind of you know seeing his name, I, I just never put two and two together. Um, but yeah, there, there's just something about his movies that um, are just so watchable. Uh, you know, one of them that you Hunter recommended that I, I enjoy uh, quite a bit is you know it's always fair weather. Um, that again, they're they're almost like comfort food. Um, but just yeah, the visuals, the music. Uh, there there was not music in the grass is greener, but you know again, uh, a fun watch. And then the uh, the last one for me um, was not a Deborah Carr film. It was actually The Martian. Uh, we we do a bit of a movie club at work and so we we uh we mixed it up and this was uh space september so oh, nice I like yeah, that. yeah that, that's a little bit of 
wait, was there an Interstellar watch? It was on the list. It was on the list of of, uh, of entries, but um, as someone who has seen Interstellar way too much and The Martian way too little, uh, I <laughs> I recommended that for a for a watch. So it was fun to revisit. You know, again, it's you know Matt Damon. Uh, this country has spent way too much money rescuing Matt Damon from from various situations. <laughs> we did look it up, and I think it's nine hundred billion dollars. So. Or ninety billion, one of the two. Either way, too much money. Um, so those are my watches for the week. Uh, John, what about you? Well, if you want something recently watched, I finished this film about five minutes before we started this record, so mm. it can't get much more recent than that. I watched. Uh, I tried to pick some stuff from the '90s to kind of go along with Max's picks, both being from the '90s. Um, so for this one. I went to the highest rated horror film from the 90s that I had not seen. And it was called this movie called Cure uh, by Kiyoshi Kurosawa from 1997. Uh, Hunter's seen this and liked it, according to his review or according to his rating. I thought it was really good. Um, It's about someone who is hypnotizing people, getting them to using hypnosis to get people to kill usually their partners or friends, just like someone that, that they would normally have no reason to, or desire to kill. It was very interesting. It was kind of a, um, it's a bit of a police police, uh, procedural, um, kind of a slow burn, pretty mysterious, well shot. It was, it was very compelling. Uh, about halfway in, I really got kind of, sucked into what was going to happen and um i love when a movie just like fully grabs my attention i don't want to give too much away but uh i definitely recommend it um it's on criteria it's a cool movie yeah it was really interesting kind of a genre where it, it did a few things that i haven't seen before um there's some startling imagery but it's not like you're not like kind of like maybe a few films we're going to talk about later it's not shoved at in your face so much it's a little, little bit more subtly done so no jump scares uh, no no jump scares no uh no no there's it's like some creeping and then like someone's behind the corner but it's not like there's not like um you know a uh a score thing in, inciting you to jump it's just like it's just a reveal with no uh you know scary sound effect Let's see. I also watched um, from 1997 as well. I watched I Know What You Did Last Summer. And I got to see the scene that Hunter mentioned with the Sarah Michelle Gellar's crown being <laughs> taken into the underwater. And she says, let's just say, he's got my crown. It was uh, this was kind of a, a bit nostalgic. I think I've only seen this in the theater at the time. Um, I don't find it to be anything uh, revolutionary, but it was in- it was enjoyable enough to watch. A bit nostalgic. Um, yeah, I gave so it. A, I think I gave it a two the last time I watched it, and that's a little bit harsh. I, I think it's pretty fun, and um, I actually, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar. I I, I actually kind of like her in it. I don't think anyone else is is very good, but I I think she's pretty likable. 
Yeah, the guy, the guy, the two guy leads aren't great. Um, I kind of, I kind of like Jennifer Love Hewitt. I, just, I think she, I just like her. Like you kind of want to root for her just based on her energy in the film. But yeah, you do want to see her die during that. What are you waiting for scene though? Oh, that is that is one of the worst lines for sure. It's my body tensed up in the worst way. <laughs> that was that was uh, not great, not great. Um, but I did like I gave it a two point seven five out of five. But it got a heart, and um, you know I enjoyed watching it. But I realized it wasn't great as I was watching it. Uh, this is a this is something I watched that's a series, but I got so into it. I have to mention it. I watched. Midnight Mass on Netflix, um, directed and written for the most part by Mike Flanagan. Uh, really, really good. The one thing I love about series is cliffhanger between episode endings. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I think those, those were originally done to get you to come back the next week, but usually this time you can watch the next episode in five seconds. Mm. Uh, but there's three or four of them of the episode endings are just so good. Uh, I was really impressed. Um, I also enjoyed uh, the haunting of Hill house, but not as much as this. And I never saw the last episode of that. I was dating someone at the time and we were watching it together and then we broke up before the end. And then I was like, well, I don't want to watch the end now. It's all it's real. <laughs> uh, but this I did watch the end. I watched the whole thing in maybe three or four days. I think it's seven episodes. Uh, I was really impressed, especially with um, Hamish McClutter, who plays um, Father. Or, well, I won't give away too much, but he plays a priest in the in the show. Uh, but he is amazing. I've only seen him in a sitcom, and I don't know where he got this from, but he is tremendous. It's such a great job. Uh, a lot of the performances are really strong. The direction is pretty cool. There's um, some really interesting visuals. I like how it's shot. Um, yeah, I, I gave it a four and a half out of five. Uh, rating series is weird, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, Rating a series is pretty controversial, actually. I was going to say, it, yeah. I did not that's... put it on a list. I don't put it like on a top anything list, but it just gives me an idea of how much I liked it. It's more of a personal. I agree it's not ideal but we can there. We, we can take it off we might take it offline all right i don't okay. um it could get I don't pretty anything that could be yeah. considered <laughs> i don't want to be accused of bullying right we don't have to tag this episode like nsfw you know right i'm open to learning and adjusting <laughs> i'm not it's I'm hard to die on this hill it's hard there are some series that are better than a lot of movies out there so it's, uh, yeah, it's. I did really enjoy it though. I hadn't watched the series in a while, and it, I really, I really did get into it. I'll sneak in one more film that I watched. This is all I watched this whole week. Um, besides their our main reviews, I watched Piranha from 1978, Steven Spielberg's favorite Jaws ripoff, <laughs> directed by Joe Dante, mostly known for, well, he's a bunch of good, decent stuff, but mostly known for Gremlins and, um, The Burbs and the howling and i think one of the twilight zone segments mm -hmm. as well. yeah um, yeah also the looney tunes movie oh i didn't back know in action <laughs> he, uh, i enjoyed this it's not like the best but it's late 70s 
it's low budget, but they get, they do a lot with a little, which I enjoy. And there's um, something almost more terrifying about a bunch of little fish attacking you as opposed to one giant shark. So I think it's worth a watch. It's playing on a few different streaming services on Prime, Canopy, Shudder. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's not like the best, but it was an enjoyable watch and a sweet 94 minute running time. Mm. And that's what I watched this week. Awesome. Well, hey guys, I do have to pee really quickly. I'm sorry about this. I Hey, perfect timing it, right after yeah. the segment. Yeah, I I've, I've been squirming in my chair holding it. I'll be right back. <laughs> so speaking of pee breaks, Event Horizon. Oh. <laughs> so you're dreading talking about this? A 90-minute pee break. Wait, have you seen it? Uh it Yes, I have. It's kind of fuzzy. I watched it in college with some friends. Um, So, yeah, well, depressingly, that's like 10 years ago. Um, (laughs) But, you know, obviously it wasn't, you know, a a toddler. So I I remembered it. um, But, you know, not the eyes of a seasoned film critic these days. I had a very Uh, similar experience. But I, I, I didn't hate it. It just it felt more like a a wasted pick, but um, but honestly, reading about it made it more interesting. Um, okay, which I know that we can kind of dive into you know in more detail, but just like um, I guess it got pretty cut down um, from the uh, original runtime and story. Oh, um, okay. Some studio some studio interference. Um. And Ooh. yeah, over over two hours, 130 minute runtime. And, and it was only like 95, 97 at the end, or it doesn't it doesn't feel too much longer than that. Right. No, it's it is it's it's pretty significantly cut down. Um, yeah, 96 minutes. So that's you know uh, over a half hour of footage. Um, and I don't know, obviously, what that would have done. Um, but basically, you know, it it got released. It failed. Um, you know, gained dvd cult status um and they the studio paramount started working on um like a director's cut or like extended cut um but the footage had gotten lost and so there um there was never any extended extended cut so we'll we'll never know what the two-hour cut of (laughs) event horizon could have been hunter is breathing a sigh of relief you don't have to go through that. <laughs> oh, two hours yeah, of Event Horizon. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Paul W. S. Anderson cannot Man, make a movie with that kind trash. of trash. I was gonna say too. Yeah, I did like. I think the first review is to think that he made this and Boogie Nights in the same year. What versatility? <laughs> <laughs> that, people that are too funny. funny. Let's see. All right. Should we jump back in? It could have been genuine. (laughs) That's true. I'm sure there's someone out there who thinks it's the same person. Just swap out middle initials and it's like a, um, oh, what's that name? What's the word for uh, uh, an author? Um, Like a pseudonym? Pseudonym, yeah. So rather than Paul T's, Paul W.S. That'd be cool if he did that. If Paul Thomas Anderson, if he directed all the Resident Evil movies, actually, (laughs) that would be pretty sweet. (laughs) 
there's probably some uh is it a alternate universe for that's the case oh there's five resident evil movies or at least he did five one two three four earth two Oh yeah, too. Oh, and did, oh, he did Alien vs Predator and Mortal Kombat. Okay, Man, definitely has a theme. He's married to Mia Jovovich or whatever her name is, right? Is he? I don't know. I guess that makes sense. They work together closely. <laughs> <laughs> so long. It's bound to happen. I don't. Yeah, I, I'll have to. I'll have to Wikipedia. Had y'all gone into uh, the uh, Event Horizon? No, we we no, break after Piranha slash P break. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm I'm good. I won't. I probably will have to pee again. Um, I uh, I've been I've been really enjoying some water <laughs> and some uh, grapefruit bubbly. Yeah, they've been married for uh, uh, twelve years. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, Sarah just, Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. are still married. Huh. Isn't that a miracle? That is impressive. That's beautiful. It doesn't happen in Hollywood. Oh. No, not for that long. Not for not for double digits. Love it. Wow. Love to see that Gell- happen. Geller, born on Long Island, where I'm from, two days after me. So we are almost ah. the same exact age. Wow. Switched, switched at birth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should get back into this. I don't want it to get to be 4 a.m. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know That's how long we're going to discussion. <laughs> yeah, Event Horizon and House on Haunted Hill. So we'll okay. So we'll jump in. So um, a rewatch for me. A little bit of a contentious pick, um, as it's been discussed. Hunter. I didn't know this, but Hunter had given it one star uh, previously. But I picked the 1997 film Event Horizon, directed by Paul uh, W. S. Anderson. Um, should clarify there, not 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 PTA. Um, but again, this was a rewatch for me. I had seen it a few years ago, and uh, very firmly in the '90s uh, kind of era of, of bad CGI and uh, interesting stories. But this movie takes place in in 2047. Um, space travel is commonplace, and there is a vessel, the Event Horizon, um, that was once thought to have disappeared during a mission. Um, that has since been rediscovered, and a rescue crew is on their way to see what they can find, uh, the remnants of the ship, uh, what, what's left of the crew, and, and go from there. So uh, we'll, we'll get more into the, you know, the plot shortly here, but uh, what were some of your initial thoughts here on, on Event Horizon? Hunter, I've got to hear. I've got to hear you first. Mm. Well, <laughs> the... <laughs> the film starts off with a bang. The Stabbing Westward-esque score <laughs> during the credits is is terrible. <laughs> so it's a really it's a poor start. The uh, the text that appears on screen is you know, saying like in 2015 the first permanent colony was established on the moon and then you know so on and so forth um, has a very dated. Uh, way of appearing on screen where it's as if it's being typed and it has a you know kind of a corny I'm going to say irritating tone (laughs) Um, I don't like seeing the words appear I don't like hearing the sound they make when they appear 
Um, and then, yeah, there's an early CG meteor. It looks like garbage. <laughs> um, then there's more CG, a CG spaceship, and it looks like it. Um, it looks like the the film just wasn't ready to be released yet. Um, it seems like the it, it's just. I mean, this movie looks terrible. As a reminder, this is like yeah, the first ten minutes. So this 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 was this is a good setup. Um. So yeah, it definitely yeah. My my initial thoughts are the the movie it it looks terrible. There is some, I guess, gruesome, horrific imagery, but just the overall aesthetic of this movie and of some '90s movies in general, uh, I. I just don't care for. And so even when the movie I feel like is trying to be scary, I just can't take it seriously. This is just it's a it's a weird it's weird to me that this movie has the following that it has. Like I like on Letterboxd, there are people that give it, you know, a three point five and, you know, four stars. And, you know, and they say that they love it and that it's, you know, basically if if like it, it's basically like Hellraiser, if it took place in space. Mm yeah, they need is, to rewatch yeah. Hellraiser because <laughs> it, it. I don't love Hellraiser. I, I think it's kind of a hard movie to take seriously, also. But it's, I mean, way better than this. Um, but yeah, I guess my those are my overall initial thoughts. I I think it's it's just uh, vomit inducing. Uh, what, what do you guys think? <laughs> my um, first note is oh. CGI meter barf emoji. So we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah, the CG yeah. is so bad, and it's and it's CG of things that you think would be cheap and easy to do practically, like the the debris yeah. floating around on the ship at the beginning of just kind of random mm-hmm. items. Like, why use CG for that? Just just do it practical. It would make it would look so much better. Because they could, I guess, is the only answer. It looks like those objects were meant for 3D, and then it just never happened. And they just looked like they would when you're watching a 3D movie without the 3D glasses. Yeah, 3D, the effects would be kind of more forgiving, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, you could rename this movie uh, Broken Pedestal, because it does not <laughs> hold up. <laughs> <laughs> and no one would know the difference. Yeah, I mean... Well, but, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Max. I'm sorry. No, no, you're, no, you're. I, I, Hunter, Hunter was 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 gracious with this one, so I'm curious to hear what you what you've got to say. Um, from my memory of watching it when I was like 19, I was jarred by it at the time, but uh, so I remembered it being better than it than it was. Um, I don't necessarily hate it. I think there's some scary imagery still. Some of the visions of like quote hell are pretty still pretty jarring more so when i first saw it um it gets progressively cornier for me mm-hmm. just in the dialogue um i don't think the cast is terrible but i don't think they're great either and there's some moments where they really try comic relief that um i don't know the comic relief is kind of like generic um like good comic relief is wheat fins and then this comic relief is like walmart thins 
You know, it's like it's like they're trying to do the same thing, but it's just the quality just isn't there. It's not really anyone's fault. It's not the wheat's fault. It's not the salt's fault. It's just some of the ingredients are just it's the bad cracker. Yeah, it's the yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, the, the last half out. There's one point where Lawrence Fishburne, this, this kind of stuck out to me. Lawrence Fishburne is mad at Sam Neill and he wants him to come back and he goes, hey, mister. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take kind of that kind of dialogue seriously no one would ever say that it's like oh man um now i'm not a fan speaking of the dialogue i don't like um cliched kind of military character dialogue um mm-hmm. even like i i think aliens is a, a fun movie but even like the military characters in that kind of annoy me and um Actually, Event Horizon, the the cinematographer who shot Aliens also shot Event Horizon. Um, but yeah, the dialogue is pretty bad. I do I like Lawrence Fishburne in the movie. I, I really too. like the payoff of the scene. There's a scene where he's talking to the not Sam Neill's character, but there's a a different doctor, right? Who's like a, a British actor? Yeah, I can't uh, remember his name. I think. Um, but he's telling that doctor a scene about when he lost someone in his crew, and about how you know he like made a promise that he would never lose someone in his crew again. And I think the kind of the payoff moment where he saves the blonde character—I can't remember—I don't know the names oh, of any of these. Jack characters. Noseworthy, the actor, at least. Where he's out in the oh, that, uh, where, where he saves the blonde-haired girl. Oh, okay. He, did, he saves was, a couple people, I guess. Yeah, that yeah. Was Stark, yeah. Uh, Joelle Richardson, where she's at risk of being chopped in half. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a good, a good payoff. Like like showing him, you know, kind of, I guess, at, like fulfilling that promise that he, you know, he won't leave. Mm-hmm. Like like he he won't let anybody you know, die on his watch, even though obviously everybody does. Yes, this piece of trash. <laughs> <laughs> it is always interesting, yeah. I, like you know, watching you know, obviously more you know, in twenty twenty one, you know, more well established. Um, speaking of Lawrence Fishburne, but then going back to, you know, whatever this is twenty twenty four years ago, um, and and thinking about you know where he was at in, in his career, and and so why you know why taking on this role was appealing to him um same with Stan, uh, sam uh, sam neil and i guess jason isaacs was less well known he was um he played the elder uh, malfoy malfoy in um the harry potter series lucius malfoy oh, okay uh, that i guess that's kind of his claim to fame but he was he was the other doctor dj in this one uh okay yeah now fishburn it's kind of his career. Um, I think could have gone such a a different way because he was offered the uh, part of Jules in Pulp Fiction, and he oh, turned wow. it down. Didn't know. And that. his career kind of went downhill after he turned that role down. And of course, Samuel L. Jackson's career really took off. But can you imagine Lawrence Fishburne as Jules? I mean, it, it, 
it kind of saves Pulp Fiction that, that he turned the role down. Because Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson's so amazing. You need yeah, a more like dynamic, yeah, kind of is this guy going to go off the rails or you know, is he in you know, fully in control right now? And I think you know, Samuel L. Jackson kind of always walks that line really well. And if you turn down Pulp Fiction, you deserve to work on this type of material. <laughs> but Letterbox might disagree with you. You know, I yeah, this is at a three point two, which is is kind of amazing. Mm. Um, it's not even be in the two territory. So, um, but can, you know, continuing continuing on. So you know, we've it, we're in for quite a ride. Um, you know, Sam Neill, we find is is the uh, creator, the visionary, the 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 brains behind uh, the ship, the Event Horizon. Um, there's a, a gravity drive that he has built um, that allows it to, uh, well, creates a black hole essentially to to allow it to jump from from point A to B, um, you know, within within moments. And um, something has happened that you know is, is what led to the disappearance of the Event Horizon. And you know he is more connected than we, than we're led to believe uh, from the beginning. But you know as they come on, you know they they board the Event Horizon, the the crew of the Lewis and Clark, which is a very cringeworthy name um, for for <laughs> an exploration slash rescue ship. But they they uh, they board it. I I had to to I, again um, the scene where the pilot um, you know they they pull up to the Event Horizon. And he latches on to you know some flimsy support beam, and Sam Neill says like that's not load bearing or you know that 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 isn't you know strong enough. And then he crunches down onto this you know stupid little flimsy support beam and says now it is. Um, <laughs> I just I just felt really bad about this being a pick, but we're gonna make it through. You know it's only 96 minutes, so it you know it wasn't terrible. Uh, but anyway, they, they send a crew on uh, of three on board. They're they're searching for survivors, um, and it's at this point that one of the younger members of the crew, Justin, he um, he finds gravity drive. It 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 looks cool. I will say, like of all the the the, the bad looking CGI, um, the the drive itself looked pretty interesting, uh, pretty ominous, um, with the rotating rings and the spikes and. Um, very out of place, I'll say, for a you know a space slash you know science fiction movie. Um, I guess maybe that's where the Hellraiser uh, comparisons come into play. But um, he's kind of drawn into this drive. It, it 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 aligns and forms sort of a portal. Which again, I don't know why we haven't learned this. But if there's a mysterious portal, maybe don't stick your hand inside of it. Um, Terrible decision. Terrible. Terrible. Just you know, very should 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 be very very easy to not make that uh, decision. He is only a baby bear, though. I mean, he's he's, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on there? Right. Talking through this is that was cut from the original director's cut. There was a romantic relationship there where they called each other Mama Bear and Baby Bear. Obvious reasons why it was cut. Right. (laughs) Only half kidding. Just again, you're like, oh, this is this is this is good. Um, it makes you work, <laughs> right? Yeah, yep. Um, what was I, I? My notes here. I, I did like speaking of bad dialogue. Um, 
Sam Neill's character is explaining uh, what the, you know, the, 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 the ship's purpose was. And Hunter, to your point, you know, these are all military um, personnel and he's, you know, Sam Neill is, is, is explaining it. And they're saying, you know, oh, layman's terms, you know, talk to us, you know, in, in normal terms. And he says, well, it's all math. And <laughs> I just, you know, again, these are, you know, these are not children. Uh, they are fully formed adults and I, just hard to listen to. But but going back anyway to, to Justin, um, he's pulled into the force field uh, or, the, or the portal, I should say, and. Uh, another member goes down to save him, pulls him out, and at this point he's in a, catast- a catatonic state. Uh, there's there's no reviving him. Um, he he has clearly seen something on on whatever side he has gone to. Um, but they you know again they 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 he's in the medical bay and the crew then continues. Well, no, I should say that after this happens, uh, there's a, a a sort of electrical blast or some sort of blast um, that sets the Lewis and Clark on fire. Um, which again we all know is is bad news for for space movies, and so this forces all of the crew now um, onto the event horizon, which is uh, again setting into place some some interesting events. So, kind of at this point, where where what, what were your guys' thoughts? All right, now did we get to the scene where the woman is uh, like has found the ship's log and his and is viewing it, and there's that floating like eyeless corpse. That yes, that has she, there's the DVD or what, you know whatever it is that she can't quite pull out and it's kind of stuck. Um, and then yeah, as she's getting that out, yeah, that the the, the corpse floats by. Yeah, and they oh well one one man has already kind of translated part of the log saying that it says save me in Latin, right? Yes. That yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know that they refer to the floating corpse as a corpse sickle. <laughs> That's and, not the uh, first time I've heard that in recent times either. That's uh, it's been coming up no. lately. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, I didn't laugh when I heard that line. For yeah. sure. I did not either. No. I feel, yeah. I feel like they uh, they started with the thought. How do we get everyone to go on the event horizon? Okay, we'll figure it out by this one guy sticking his hand in the gravity drive, and that makes and that causes the explosion. Like it's kind of like they uh, worked backwards to like find a reason to get them all on the ship. Uh, that's what this plot development feels like to me. Um, yeah, and why? I, I don't. I mean, I, I watch a lot of horror movies, and I, I don't always criticize characters making. Like a dumb decision. I mean, people like smart people make dumb decisions all the time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really bother me. Um, but this does seem kind of uh, even more dumb than. <laughs> than <laughs> like, I haven't seen too many worse decisions, and it seems like they could have solved that by instead of having the kind of like the ooze that black goo or whatever mm-hmm. maybe show him something like that that, that would be like more kind of or desirable yeah. Yeah, like something yeah. that would make him uh th- that would make you see like why he's doing this mm-hmm. 
Well, because there is, I mean, and that's, you know, there is a, 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 a portion of this, you know, are hallucinations um, that the crew experiences that are, you know, mm-hmm. that are personal to them. And so, yeah, that that fits right into this story. Um, and I, Hunter, earlier, we, you know, John and I were talking about how, I, you know, kind of reading more about this. You know, there, initially, this was a 130 minute movie that was cut down to, to 96 minutes. And so, you know, by again, by the studio. And so it does make you wonder, not that this needs to be two hours plus um, long, but if there is, you know, some something else to discover or, or some more kind of exposition or, or just, you know, things that help this movie along. Because I, I, I think that it has an interesting premise and maybe that's, you know, just the, the space movie fan and me speaking. Um, but it, and I and how much of it you know is a victim to the '90s? You know, I'm not sure. You know, again, um, there is that corniness. There is that, um, you know, which you know comes into play to our our later review too. And, and you know, the House on Haunted Hill. Um, you know, but again, I I almost would be, would be curious to see this movie remade like these days um, with you know a little bit less focus on the the, the comic relief and obviously bad CGI. Um, but, you know, I get an interesting story of, of kind of a, a ship with a mind of its own um, that has essentially gone to, to hell and back. Um, but, you know, moving, moving on um, with the plot, you know, Justin is now in, in, a, in a, you know, he's, he's now essentially paralyzed in a, in a coma. Um, I, I did like the scene of him kind of coming back, you know, awake, um, by you know whatever forces are on this ship, and then yeah, suicide by decompression or, or attempted suicide by de- decompression seems to be pretty painful. And I also don't know how he survives this. Yeah, I don't know the science involved with that. Uh, yeah, well, they, or like they the, the trick where he's just holding his breath. breath. Yeah, like force all the breath out. Yeah, and then and then curl up in a ball, and then Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> kind of shoots him back into the airlock. Uh, by by using his body um but other space movies that has appeared to be pretty instantaneous um once you kind of enter space with with no suit or any sort of protection um you're 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 kind of done for um there's that scene in total recall where they're in the atmosphere on mars and it's a long scene (laughs) of them (laughs) while like the oxygen is being uh restored or something like they're out there for a long it's a it's a, like a long cut and they're just like you know kind of screaming in pain it's like a solid five minutes but uh i'm, I'm guessing the atmosphere in mars isn't as harmful as it would be out mm. past neptune either or just the cold like just your body would just freeze instantly yeah nah. i don't know well, science with total recall <laughs> I don't know if Verhoeven's a big science guy, but he <laughs> loves to show pain, extended pain. Yeah, it's just up on there. So I don't know. Maybe there was some playing off of that of, of they were consulting each other's science there. But um, so the, the story continues. Um, yeah, again, like as as mentioned, they're seeing hallucinations. Um, Hunter, like you mentioned. Um, Miller, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, he sees uh, Korik, 
who was a, a subordinate that was he uh, he was forced to abandon, um, which was a cool kind of scene. Uh, the 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 men on fire, um, Peters, who is a, a, another doctor on on the ship. She sees her son, um, who she left with her, her ex husband, and, and his legs are are covered in some um, pretty uh, brutal looking uh, lesions. Um, Weir, uh, the the main character, Sam Neill's character, uh, sees uh, a vision of his wife uh, who killed herself. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of a brutal scene. Um, again, very bad CG, um, eyeless eyes, eyeless face. That that seems like it would be a pretty easy pr- uh, practical effect. Uh, and just kind of seeing like you know the video game red. Um, eyeless face was was just you know it, it just takes you out of the movie, um, which is unfortunate. Um, but uh, going back to the, to the video log that Hunter you mentioned that one of the characters uh, finds, she they 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 unscramble it and they they play it and she you know uh, looks away in horror and then we obviously um, have to be party to what's on this uh, video log, uh, which is a pretty wild little video there. Um, of essentially the event horizon, you know, original crew, uh, going, going insane. I don't know what you would call that. Um, I do like <laughs> Wikipedia's description of fornicating and mutilating each other, uh, shortly after engaging the gravity drive. Um, that's, that's pretty accurate. Blood orgy. It's a blood orgy. A blood orgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, it takes you a second to understand, um, but again, it, you know, it's during the course of this video that DJ, um, who initially heard the Latin phrase liberate me, um, now hears the phrase in its full um, sentence, which is liberate tutamet ex infire, which is save yourself from hell. So the characters um, now understand they're in a much more grave scenario. Um they understand now that uh, it didn't just you know, jump from one place in space to another, um, but it went outside the known universe to a hellish, a hell-like dimension, um, and that now the event horizon has gained sentience somehow. Uh, Miller uh, decides that the best course of action is to destroy the event horizon. Um, so they go about doing that. They go about um, you know, getting some materials and supplies from the ship. Uh, it's during the course of this that Peters, uh, the one who left her son, sees another hallucination of her son running around. Um, she goes and runs after him and ends up, um, again, speaking of dumb decisions, uh, runs off of a, a, a ledge and, and falls to her death, um, which it, it was a good falling death in terms of um, filmed filmed falling deaths. That, that was pretty brutal. Um Weir at this point has has now gouged his own eyes out. Um, I guess wanting to join his wife, but more so being possessed by the the presence of the event horizon. And I, I liked this scene. I liked the scene. There, there was some foreshadowing earlier. They're on that kind of like connecting um, part of the ship, like the bridge and the drive, and, and there's the the explosives. And they ask you know why those are there, and it was essentially like, well, if something goes wrong, they can you know blow up this this bridge. And, and save um, the main part of the ship. And then at this point, Lawrence Fishburne notices that one of the explosives is missing um, and then notifies Smith, who is on the Lewis and Clark, um, of this 
and which sends him off on a little bit of a, a, a mouse chase to uh, find this explosive. And so at this point, what are you, what are you guys thinking? Haven't seen this much eye horror in a quite a long time. There is so much eye eyeball horror in this film. <laughs> I think pound for pound it might be in the top three for <laughs> eyeballs <laughs> removed. Mutilated. No one does eye trauma like Lucio Fulci, though. Mm. He is the master of the destruction of the human eye. <laughs> if y'all I guess seen... I need to delve into some more Fulci. That could be a oh, yeah a whole man. a whole series. Oof. Yeah, I would love to talk about Fulci. I would much rather talk about Fulci than this film. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Sam Sam Neill, when his performance turns villainous. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie gets even worse. Um, it's like it's I, really corny for me. Yeah, I it agree. It's very corny. I and like the, the I think uh, Lawrence Fishburne says that. Um, I think yeah, Sam Neill tells him that they can't that leave because the mission isn't accomplished yet. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence Fishburne says that the mission is aborted, and that if if Neil doesn't come with him, he'll have to walk home. And Neil. <laughs> Says, I am home. It does. In a villainous, ominous tone. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, hmm. He still has, I want to say, well, I did say one good thing about the movie. Um, so I guess I'm okay with trashing the rest, but, <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah, the gravity drive does look very cool. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Going back to that. Okay. Uh, the gravity drive is pretty cool looking, and the woman uh, falling to her death. I'm I'm with you, Max. I thought I thought that was a pretty solid fall and a good landing in that kind of mm. uh, blood. Is it blood? What is that? Like? Water? Yeah. I, I mean, it, yeah, it gets bloodier, obviously, with her contribution. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, that's a good little splashdown. It's it's a good color red. You know, it's it's not Crayola, but it, you know, it, it's nice. It's very nice. I I don't know if I understand hallucinations because is this person not aware that her son could not be on the ship. Come on, I mean, I just don't. I mean, maybe it's something where if it's happening to you you'd react differently, but just like looking at it as an observer, I could see like if the son was on the ship and maybe mm-hmm. he died or something and like, Oh wait, he didn't die. Or like he disappeared. And then like she gets lured, but obviously he was never on the ship. So why is she, why is she so mesmerized? Well, and, she- and they've openly discussed their hallucinations together. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like, it would make more sense if they didn't talk about their hallucinations and they did show yes. them pursuing them more. Yes. Mm-hmm. But since that they've acknowledged that they're hallucinations, you'd think that they would remember that they're hallucinations still. How bad is how evil is it that uh, Dr. Weir has the same hallucinations as everyone else, yet tells them they're crazy Mm. And gaslights them when he has a vision of his own and does not tell them that he has it. 
I mean, obviously, we don't know. I mean, I guess it is implied that from the very beginning, he's under the power of the ship that he built. But um, it's just, if there was any of him left, like, he gets no credibility at all for just, you know, gaslighting them like nothing's happening when he experienced the exact same thing they're going through and just denounces all their experiences or tries to play them off as some reaction to like a lack of carbon dioxide or mm. a, some, some other kind of pseudo scientific answers that he doesn't really have answers for. He's just trying to, it's all math. Yeah. Reason on the fly. Yeah. It's all math. Yeah. It's all math. It's all math. So I guess, so yeah. So, so last week, you know, John's movies had, had a theme of, of slugs. Um, this week, my picks seem to have a theme of people for whatever reason going off by themselves um and, and just meeting horrible ends so for no it's for no real clear reason um but still you know a fun watch we, we you know this once we are turns evil you know we, we, again it gets the corniness factor goes up but there's some interesting deaths um he does kill dj with it with a pretty good uh, vivisection death um you know, that was that was a, a quite a visual that was quite um, a visual yes the the bomb does go off it, bla- it kills smith but also cooper um is blown into space and but he quickly makes a comeback floating in a piece of debris um i <laughs> again speaking of you know just poorly devised just you know comedic uh, moments uh, that was that was a little cringeworthy um but uh miller uh, then confronts weir who overpowers him and then starts a, a, a countdown um, to uh, start up the gravity drive to go to this you know, other dimension. Um, and they're, you know, they're fighting on the bridge and Cooper, um, which, you know, Hey, maybe the Martian was inspired by this. Um, he, you know, Cooper uses his oxygen supply in his suit uh, to propel himself through space uh, back to the, to the ship. He appears at the window and, Going back to poorly thought out decisions, Weir shoots him or shoots at him, um, punctures the window, which I think we all know is just a bad idea uh, <laughs> to do on a Space spaceship. Opa, yes, you know to blow open a window. Uh, he is he is pretty quickly um, sucked out of the window. Um, Miller, Stark, and Cooper—they do survive. They they hang on, and, and this is that moment of redemption, Hunter, that you you referenced. Um, Stark, who's almost cut in half by the door, is, is pulled through by Miller. Um, they they seal off the bridge, and their plan is to um, you know again go ahead and split the event horizon, um, use the the, the non evil dro- non evil part of the ship um, as a lifeboat, and. Um, at this point, we you know, he, he's attacked by you know, what we think is a hallucination of Korik, uh, the one he left behind, the, the man on fire, but is actually a resurrected Dr. Weir who claims that the ship has saved him. Um, I, you know, at this point, you know, before this, you know, uh, Samuel's character, you know, Dr. Weir, his, his eyes had just been clawed out, um, but now he, he's fully bald. Uh, he's covered in scars. Um, I, I thought that this—he looks pretty cool at this point. <laughs> you know, does look cool. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, he looks tougher. Right, more like a you know an actual villain. Um, yes. Not you know eyeless Sam Neil. 
but uh, you know things are things are ratcheting up here at this point, and we're we're, we're kind of uh, you know at the climax of the film. But uh, where are you guys at so far? All right, so we have to talk about the Back to the Future reference. Uh, oh yes, when Fish asks Neil what happened to his eyes, and Neil says, "Where we're going, we don't need eyes." <laughs> is that a good line or a bad line i i wrote that down i have a note of that line it's noteworthy know. it is noteworthy right. i wrote it down too which <laughs> <laughs> it's the best corny line of the film i'll give it that yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah Actually, it's, it's kind of fun I actually like when Cooper is at the window and he's just, you know, he just shot himself back to the ship and he sees <laughs> Sam Neill like shooting at him. He's like, oh, oh, <laughs> he's like, he kind of freaks out. That was like a genuine funny moment for me. I, I was the one time that his comic relief worked for me. I think I actually laughed. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of mixed on this movie, but like that, la- the last half hour, once Sam Neill, Dr. Weir turns evil. It just gets so corny for me. Mm-hmm. Just the whole, I don't know, just all the dialogue gets worse. It's just, I don't necessarily hate how it looks. Um, actually how most of them react when they're hanging on to get, not get thrown, uh, blown out of the ship when the, the holes opened up. Mm-hmm. Although there's one scene where Fishburne's hanging on, and it just it just does not look convincing. It just looks like he's like kind of mailing it in. And that one particular, I'm holding on for my life. He's kind of like, I'm just holding on to this thing. I'm not. Is that really... when he's on the wire, or is that? Are you thinking of a different time? There was he's like hanging onto a wire at one point, and it just looks not not great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I made a note of that. It's just like it just those kind of things take you. It's just it's tough. The 90s, these types of films are just, they don't hold up. It's very rare for them to hold up. Whereas, like, 80s films, for me, hold up so much more because it's so much more, so much practical stuff. If anything, it's it's just kind of, you can take it almost, some of the effects as a novelty if they're not even done great. So there's just more chance for it to be enjoyable, where it just, look, when something looks this bad, except for the gravity drive, it's just tough. It's 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 like playing an old video game on a system compared to something now. You're kind of spoiled by the quality of the present day, and it's not necessarily this film's fault. I mean, there's plenty of faults with this film, but mm-hmm. you know, you're you're trying to do something at the time. I don't know. I gotta give it. I mean, look how good 2001 looks. So never mind. It's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think. One thing the 80s had going for it outside of practical effects is that they were trying to make fun movies, mm-hmm. which it can be a little more forgiving. But also, if you're going to make a dark movie, like Event Horizon is pretty dark and it's pretty violent. I think um, you either you kind of have to go really far and to to like 
make it a dark, like a, a dark experience for the audience. And I think that you're taken out of the reality of the movie anytime you see CG. So the dark, like the violent stuff doesn't really have an effect because you've already seen parts of this movie that look like a cartoon. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's just, it's just, it is hard. Like, and I, I don't know how much of that, like, this movie would have looked amazing, you know, in the theater in 1997. Um, you know, maybe not story wise, but just, you know, what was around at the time. But yeah, again, watching it now, uh, John, like you, you were saying, it just, you know, it's like, you know, there's better things out there. And so just, I mean, mentally just getting over that hurdle um, is, is just tough. Um, and it does, you know, it just takes you out of it. And, and Hunter, to your point, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you're not feeling like this is like actual real people going through this. It's just, you know, this is essentially a cartoon, um, which, you know, makes it just kind of bland, really. Yeah, like I think if you dial it down a little bit, because like Alien is not as is not as extreme but I think the imagery is way more affecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that movie has you know practical effects, and it's Ridley Scott, like an amazing cinematography and a great score. Amazing. I mean, just comparing the productions is kind of it's not it's unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking about how, like in that movie, it never becomes a cartoon. And so when it does go for horror, it does affect, it, it does have an effect. But, but yeah, with this, um, yeah, even when like, Sam Neill is, you know, you're scarred all over, it, it just, I, I just have a hard time taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, again, it's that kind of that, that cartoonish looking thing. And, um, but yeah, so, to to kind of wrap up Event Horizon, um, you know they fight Miller and Weir. Um, I, I did make a note that 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 fight scene is is pretty bad, um, but eventually Miller um, comes to enough to to grab the detonator, uh, which then um, you know, sacrificing himself, you know, does blow up that that bridge which separates the two parts of the ship. Um, at this point, you know, the gravity, the gravity drive, it activates and the, uh, that section of the ship goes into a black hole. Um, Stark and Cooper who, who, who did survive and amazingly Justin, I am, I, I will say, I, I knew he was like still around, but the fact that he was <laughs> uh, still alive and in stasis, um, what, baby bear made it through somehow. I kind of wish I was in stasis for a lot of this film. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's the alternative title, you know, stasis. Um, but they, you know, they, they enter stasis 72 days later, as told to us by the screen, um, they are rescued and they, um, they bring the crew out of stasis. And at this point, uh, Stark, um, is, is being told to calm down, um, that she's being rescued. And then, you know, as the rescuer grabs her, he opens his helmet, only to reveal that is that it is Weir, um, still alive, but quickly revealed to be a nightmare. Um, Stark then you know screams and, and is comforted by Guy Cooper and the rest of the, the rescue team, and then 
end scene. And that is the end of Event Horizon. So I will I will defend my pick. It was fun to rewatch it. it, it it's been about you know nine or ten years. Again, it's it's a fun, I don't know, space movie, but uh, much better uses of your time in terms of 96 minutes. As for me, uh, I went ahead and gave it two stars, which, as people will come to find out, that's pretty low. Um, three is kind of the baseline there, so two is, is pretty bad. Um, what do you guys think? I gave it, surprisingly, three stars. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I was really scared by it when I saw it originally, and I have to give it credit for that, that in 1997, in the theater, some of these images stayed with me. So at that point, it was probably a three and a half. I'm knocking it down to a three. If I watch this again, it's going to go down further. But um, <laughs> I probably rolled my eyes less at this film than our next review. A little foreshadowing there. But uh, three stars for me, but it's on the lower end of three. I'm giving it some nostalgic credit. But it was effective for me at one point. Before I knew what I was doing <laughs> anything about film, uh, uh, I don't know. But uh, the fact that you know, I forget so many things from move, even from great movies, like I rewatched The Apartment recently, and I had forgotten so much about it. Um, that that some of this imagery, the gravity ball, um, some of like the hell in imagery, and like the scene with the wife committing suicide, that I remembered that before even rewatching this. I have to give it some credit for keeping some steams in my head for all that time. So begrudging three stars for me. And this is, yeah, the moment of the hour. Did it stay a one yes, star? Drum roll. All right. So <laughs> in June of 2016, I gave Event Horizon one star and my feelings have not changed. It's a, it's a one. <laughs> it's a one star film. I, um, the people who like this movie, but are critical of the characters in Prometheus for being dumb. <laughs> I have a I have a really hard time with those people. <laughs> yeah, that's all that's all I have to say. It's just uh, it's just not for me. Uh, just the this the overall aesthetic of the movie I I I just don't care for. It's fair. Uh, coming off of a one, you've got to really have a, a a great movie to try and you know bump that star rating up so i did want to re-listen to stabbing westward though did you guys check out stabbing westward after this uh, viewing no i, I didn't did, mm. but i do enjoy stabbing i did i definitely enjoyed stabbing westward at their peak so i could get into some stabbing westward i think yeah yeah we may, maybe um maybe we should review a stabbing westward album that could be if we need a yeah if we <laughs> if we run out of movies yeah that could yeah. be a, that could be a solid uh plan b there uh, to the album this weekend and see how it goes yeah we'll might be fun. next week <laughs> we'll, we'll think the review in so wait don't they have a song called save yourself oh uh, they do wow how appropriate for this film <laughs> <laughs> both within the plot and to the viewer watching a warning it. almost of saviors yes. from viewing this film mm. um, maybe the song was written after uh, <laughs> event horizon viewing i like that it. he so, confused no i guess he only heard part of the clip but i like that he confused save me with uh save yourself from hell it's a little mm. little convenient yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 I mean, mm. hey, we we all make mistakes. You're scared. Something sounds different. Yeah, the second time you hear it, are you when you're when you're if you replay it back in your mind? I mean, it's we've all been there. It's like wheel of fortune. Like people, it looks so easy when you're at home, but in the moment, maybe you say the wrong word. You know? Yeah. Right. Just, Just don't pressure. pretend that you know Latin. You know, that's the easy thing. Yes. Unless exactly you know, the hubris he, of that guy thinking he knew what they were saying. Ugh. Right. <laughs> Unbelievable. So. Big mistake. Well, speaking of hubris, that 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 leads us to our our next review. Um, I know, John, that you kind of. <laughs> <laughs> forewarned foreshadowed this was not your favorite of the two but um the second watch was uh, a remake uh, it was the uh, or not the but just house on haunted hill 1999 um a remake of the 1959 house on haunted hill invited to a party if they can stay up till dawn they'll win one million dollars each the only catch is that they'll have to live through the night let the games begin got something. Of connections here. I didn't realize this was you know, this was produced by Dark Castle Entertainment, uh, which was formed in I think 1998 uh, with the initial kind of purpose to just remake William Castle films. Uh, oh, yeah, which is who directed the 1959 or original of House and Haunted Till. So I, I, I like that little bit of history there. I, I had forgotten about that um, opening title screen um, of, of their studio. Um, but yeah, House on Haunted Hill and this, you know, a little bit of throw, throwback to Hunter's Picks with the Vincent Price connection or a lot of it, depending on what you thought about Jeffrey Rush's character's performance. <laughs> uh, that was uh, not very subtle. Um, again, this film um, centers around five strangers that are invited to a, a haunted uh, mental hospital that has since been converted into a mansion. Uh, where they have a chance to win $1 million if they're able to survive one night in the house on Haunted Hill. So what did you guys think about 
this version of this movie. I do not like the chemistry of these characters. <laughs> I really don't. I think it's tough. You got a lot of people, you know, in one location um, at one time talking to each other. Uh, they don't really have most of them don't have established relationships with each other. So um, I understand this can be hard to write, but something also right away, you have two actors who in Ali Larder and Bridget Wilson who look very similar. Mm-hmm. That is, it seems like a, a mistake, especially in um, you know, a haunted house movie where you're in a dark environment. I feel like you, people are going to get them confused pretty often, at least early on. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed like a very strange decision. I mean, I think they look very similar. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, the person I watched this with felt the same things. Like, why would you cast two people that look so similar um, in a film like this? Jeffrey Rush's performance is interesting. I don't hate it, but I do think he's trying really hard. Some of it works for me. I mean, not compared, not compared to the original Vincent Price at all, but... Um, I don't hate it. CGI here is also rough, especially when we get to the climax. That really, that's, I mean, <laughs> if I was a dog, I would be barking, woofing at that so hard because it's just, it's just, uh, yeah. Uh, Chris Kattan, I think it's easy to hate his acting. I don't, I think it's. He doesn't age well, uh, I will say. No. And he is playing an unlikable character to begin with so maybe some of it is that i i don't again i don't really hate his performance but i can't say i enjoy it either it's kind of i don't know i don't know if he's just like being really effective at being annoying or if his acting is annoying it's somewhere in between i think it's what i think as general as a general thought i think it's a watch watchable but um i wasn't like checking my watch or anything but the script really pained me on multiple occasions and then cgi again character decisions a lot of the a lot of the classic complaints about horror films that don't work are evident here for me uh hunter okay so i this is a different this is a 90s aesthetic that actually doesn't bother me as much as event horizon i I do dislike the dialogue where I feel like every character is written in pretty much the same voice. And I don't know if this was written by like a writer from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer show. But I feel like everyone is kind of sarcastic and kind of not witty, but I I feel like I don't know. Every line is kind of kind of snarky and it's everything is kind of everyone's kind of uh, defensive and is trying to one up each other with who can be more snarky. Mm-hmm. And that does yeah. get kind of old. It kind of, I mean, like Marvel movies have the same complaint that where people think too many characters talk like Tony Stark. But yeah, I think they all have the same voice, which does get a little bit irritating. I think Ali Larder and Tay Diggs are, once they kind of are paired off and kind of go their own way, they do kind of start to become their own characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone else, they, they, um, they still kind of have that same voice that that's just the writer only he only knows how to write in one voice apparently. Um, but I think Ali Larder and Tay Diggs, since you spend more time with them, I think they're able to give more to the characters. So they're not as one note. And I, I did like them. 
And there's some kind of fun, uh, horrific imagery. Uh, the surgery scene at the beginning is actually pretty violent. I was going to say, yeah, right off the bat, yeah, that, that intro was, uh, was pretty rough um, in, in the best of ways. But it's, yeah, unsedated and just kind of scalpel to the chest. Yeah. Yeah, and I like Jeffrey Combs. I mean, he has a very small part in this, but uh, he plays the surgeon in this, and then he's uh, in Reanimator. Um, but yeah, and then it cuts to this uh, kind of old newsreel footage of uh, you know talking about the slaughter at the sanitarium. Oh, like this, they I think they refer to it as the sanitarium of slaughter. Mm-hmm. And then there's a later kind of new TV special talking about it and. They refer to the surgeon. I don't remember the name of the of the character of the Van, surgeon. Van, Vanicut? Dr. Okay. Vanicut. Yeah. Yeah, they Richard say he's Benjamin killed. Vanicut, yeah. They say he's killed more than Bundy and he made Manson look meek. <laughs> 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 Only in the nineties. Yeah, they just they had more fun then. Yeah, um Jeffrey Rush is Yeah. Yeah, no, no. He he's he's fine. He 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 was kind of irritating. He and and, and Chris Kattan mm-hmm. uh, did kind of bother me. But for some reason, I don't know why. I definitely don't think this is great. But I think since the tone is maybe more fun, I, I was just able able to enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, and I do. I I like Allie Larder. Um. I think she, she's in at least one of the other, one of the Final Destination movies. Or maybe she's in two of them. Two of them, yeah, the think, first two. Yeah. Clear. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do like her. And this movie gets a minimum, like, uh, gets one star for just having Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson play twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. I, I, I have a note here of, of Hunter's favorite uh, song covers uh, in very moody tones. So that uh that held true yeah it, you know this movie opens up like we like we mentioned pretty pretty brutally uh they're in a it's 1931 they're in a, a psychiatric institute and yeah, performing surgery you know very clearly this is not run well um the the patients <laughs> uh they they break out they start a fire they they do a bunch of stuff um i i have a note about those pencils through the neck of uh, the one doctor it's a pretty brutal way to go um but again yeah the fire you know engulfs the building kills all but but five and then which then turns into hunter you mentioned that that television special which um jeffrey rush's wife famka jansen uh, evelyn evelyn price is just watching uh, as she lounges in a bathtub which clues you into her character and which i've the- never watched tv while bathing but no. It might be kind of nice. Well, she answers the phone. She got the phone there. She's watching the TV. So, you know, she's got a little setup there. But it, it gives I've done it. Oh, you have done it. Okay. I have. I mean, I use an iPad for safety. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've done it. It's uh, it's pretty nice. It's dangerous. Wow. Dangerous. Um, you might get a little pruny if you get invested in something. Like if I was watching Midnight Mass in that tub, watch out. It could be uh, irreparable damage to my skin. But... Uh, usually I watch something more light when I'm in the tub, like a, you know, like a Seinfeld episode or something. Or Wings. Which I won't rate on Letterboxd. <laughs> or Wings, yes, exactly. Yeah. 
That's a, that could be a new theme for for a few months from now. But she uh, <laughs> so she she's in the bath. She's watching this special. He gives her inspiration uh, for her next birthday party. So she um, calls her husband Jeffrey Rush, or you know, in this movie, Stephen Price. And this was fun living in Orlando. Um, this was a fun little cameo of seeing this very iconic green roller coaster and then doing some Googling and, and realizing that, yes, they did film this in Universal Studios. Um, and that's the Incredible Hulk coaster. So, you know, that was kind of just a cool little thing. Now, there's not an elevator that goes to the top. And the scene uh, after the elevator, you know, fake crashes and they're at the top of the launch tunnel um, for this roller coaster. Jeffrey Rush uh, pulling his glasses down. That was kind of peak camp there for me with his character. Um, I think he said something like, like, this is where the thrills really start. Then the coaster just shoots out of the tunnel. That was nice. That had been my favorite moment in the whole movie, actually. I really, I was fooled that the, I thought that the elevator was malfunctioning. I bought into it. And that was like <laughs> a great reveal into Jeffrey Rush's character's personality and like kind of a, you know, a little trickery. A little bit sardonic. He's yeah. into pushing buttons for sure. Oh yes. Um, Not just elevator buttons. Right, which he which he <laughs> seemingly fails at. Um, <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. That, that that got me twice. The elevator got me, and then later on on the actual roller coaster when uh, the track appears to break. And that it, got me too. Yes, I enjoyed yeah. that too. That was fun. I like that. That was. I was like, oh no. <laughs> that right. got me too. <laughs> It's a, that that would be a fun, you know, actual roller coaster, you know. And so, yeah, the, I, I, I watched just this scene with Jenny and she did note that she said um, those coasters seem really close to each other. You know, in real life, oh, they might collide. Yeah. 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 You wouldn't see them you know, running that close to each other. And I was like, that's a good point. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the, the track breaks and then the, the tech runs over and says, you know, Houston, we've got a problem. And. The the front coaster does launch off of the track, which the you know second coaster with the actual people see, um, and they think that they are on their way to the doom, onto their doom. But then the the coaster fixes itself. They finish the ride, and and Jeffrey Rush is pleased. Um, and that was pretty cool. Even more thinking about it right now, I'm still scared for those people going off the coaster, and they don't. I'm fooled again. <laughs> <laughs> you, it gets your heart going, and and, it and does. Once, we need more amusement park, yeah, horror movies. Um, I know there are a good amount out there, but uh, modern day, I mean, um, you know, a horror movie, you know, filmed in the Magic Kingdom uh, would 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 be pretty fun. Um, so we'll see if we ever get that. Maybe when Disney's desperate for some money, um, <laughs> which won't be anytime soon, but. Uh, anyway, so the, you know, so so Jeffrey Rush, um, his character continues his conversation uh, with his wife. Um, she has sent over a guest list uh, for him to invite. He uh, spitefully uh, shreds. <laughs> very odd reaction um, to a guest list, but he shreds up the guest list. Um, he types in some new names on his computer. Uh, and then off screen, you, you know, no one really is typing. Those names delete themselves. And then um, another set of names are entered. And so we then, you know, we cut to a bit of a montage where they, these five people are now uh, in cars on their way to the mansion. And they are stopped by um, the, the, the actor that we all have lovingly spoken of, 
Chris Catan. Chris Catan, who who is you know the owner of the home. Um, he has some history there and, and, and kind of runs them through. He explains they can't drive up to the house. They need to walk. Um, they, they see, you know, they, uh, I always, I do love a good from a distance house shot. Um, those are, those are always pretty fun when they're done well. And and I like this one. This, this was a good looking uh, facade. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a cool yeah. looking location. The Chris Catan, he, uh, he wants them to go inside desperately. Right. He must say, "Let's go. Let's get going. Let's go inside." <laughs> are you? Know, are we going inside now? Like, I mean, he must. It's uh. Yeah, he really wants. He just wants to get in there. And he wants to get paid and get out. Yes. <laughs> right. He, he wants that check signed. Right. Which yeah, we we do get to the you know, the no, the I'm guests saying. the the five the five strangers uh, make their way into the home um, where immediately there's a, a very intricate stained glass piece on the ceiling um, which they all pause and marvel at and are disgusted by and just a variety of reactions um, and then kind of without warning uh, the, the the ceiling shatters um, uh, Famke Jansen's character the wife Evelyn uh, is nearly killed and uh, she's saved by Eddie Baker. I did love her line, um, basically accused him of being a, a, a pervert. <laughs> for like, the, get off me or whatever, yeah. Right, for the brief seconds um, that he was there after you know, saving her life from a, a pretty decent-sized chunk of glass. Uh, that, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a small shard. It was significant, yeah. Uh, I don't know. She's, uh, she's not that likable, got to say. Pamka <laughs> Jansen's character. She's no, pretty, she's pretty uh, irritating. Yeah, I did uh, see. I don't. I did see her in Los Angeles once, um, and uh, she didn't look irritating. Mm. No, that's good. Yeah, so she may have enjoyed this role, you know, playing opposite her true self. Yeah, she was. She was walking with a friend, and they seemed to be having a pleasant conversation. And you know, I thought, oh, good for her. At least she knows what he is. I was alone, yeah. so <laughs> she finally got over her. Uh, performance here in house and haunted hill people uh, finally yeah, she, are, are realizing she's, she's a nice woman she's just so trying to be whatever she's trying to be it's like she's just trying too hard or the character's written too hard for this personality type it's just a little bit just really force feeding it on you it feels like especially in the first 20 25 minutes in her interactions with uh jeffrey rush too Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, every yeah, every, saying that they all try too hard. I, I think this kind of dialogue and performance, oddly enough, the same things I dislike about this, I dislike about Knives Out. I never, you would never think you would compare House on Haunted Hill and Knives Out, but they they have like the same problems for me. Um, but since this one is like lower brow, it's a little bit easier for me to stomach for some reason. Kind of it's, yeah. It's hard to develop a character much when they're in the same location the whole time and in this environment where they have to focus so much on what's happening around them. You, you just can't really develop a character through plot as much as just, I guess, 
dialogue. So maybe that's that's kind of a reason why this almost overacting comes out by just trying to get more out of a character than this limited framework that they're within. I don't know. Yeah. And just over the course of one night, too, you know, it is kind of like a, a single location, like you're saying. That, you know, we continue on, and, and both Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jensen, they, they both kind of realize that they don't know who these people are. <laughs> and so they have a side conversation, and they just basically decide to continue the theme. And uh, Jeffrey Rush um, offers a million dollars to every guest who remains in the house, and those who run away forfeit their million um, again, Chris Kattan is is very clearly not uh, wanting to stay here, and so you know uh, agrees to take the the lesser sum to to leave before this uh, challenge starts, um, which he does get his money. Jeffrey Rush makes a game of it, um, but as he runs away, the security system, which is a very giant set of gears which, you know, lowers uh, metal, metal doors over all the windows and, and other doors, um, is set into place, and he just barely uh, misses out on escaping the home. So he's now stuck in there. And I did like this dynamic um, of uh, Jeffrey Rush and, and Famke Jansen, uh, you know, because they're both kind of like tricksters, and, you know, and she obviously knows what he does for a living. And so both of them kind of blaming the other person of like, oh, okay, like this, this was your doing. Oh no, this was your doing. Um, I, it, it, that worked for me. That that kind of you know, explanation for for why, um, they weren't more frightened. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, they don't know that the other is, is not to blame. That that yeah. So they so that you know that continues and 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 now everyone's everyone's actually locked inside, and this is where um, Jennifer, uh, which is. Oh, this was, um, yeah, Allie Larder's, because, uh, yeah, at this point, she's still Jennifer Jensen, um, which we find out is not her true name. Uh, Eddie, who is uh, played by Tay Diggs, and then Pritchett, who is uh, Chris Kattan, they go to the basement to find the control panel uh, to un- un- unlock the security system. And while exploring this, Allie Larder's character explains to Eddie that her real name is Sarah Wolf, and she was the assistant to the real Jennifer Jensen. Um, and so she was impersonating her to, to hope, you know, kind of in hopes to win the prize money. So we, that's a fun little reveal there of like, okay, this is not who this, you know, the person says they are. They, they are split up and now, you know, Sarah, um, loses Eddie and is searching for him. And then you find, you know, she comes across, you know, to us at least as, you know, clearly a, a ghost or an, a, a, a hallucination of Eddie. I did like the little ominous, uh, glimmer in his eyes um he takes off and is, and is running away and, and she's following him and she comes across uh, him you know standing above a, a, a pretty large vat of blood which is always fun to see that's why <laughs> why there just be a giant vat of blood um just kind of hanging around in, in a basement but he jumps in and she goes in to save him and as she's attempting to save what she thinks is eddie the real eddie um, it, you know, steps into the door frame and, and asks her what she's doing. And at this point, she is almost um, drowned in this vat of blood. So that I like this, this kind of it kind of changes the tone for me of there are actually things happening in this house. It isn't just, you know, it isn't just hallucinations. There are you know physical things taking place. This is a hallucination 
scenario that I can get behind because she was just with this person and then thinks it's that person that she's following. She knows that person's in the house. Unlike the Event Horizon child mm. hallucination, which I could not comprehend, I guess. Uh, so, you know, this this movie as a whole, I think maybe from watching the original as well, it, it gets darker. And even from maybe the beginning 15 minutes, it winds up getting a lot darker in some of its imagery than I was maybe expecting. Uh, are these both... Is this an R rated? It's got to be. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think for some reason, I think some of these haunted house films from this era have like a PG-13 or PG, probably PG-13. And I think that's kind of what I was expecting going into this. But it gets very dark and very graphic in, at some points. And I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I'd never seen this before. But they really go for it. I mean, there's a lot of like just like torturous imagery both like past and present it gets it, it goes pretty it doesn't really have much restraint in what it shows um mm-hmm. and you also have some of that similar to event horizon of group hellish images like kind of flip, flickering in and out um one thing i don't necessarily like and i think jumping kind of a little bit is the body is just like twitching mm-hmm. it's like gray looking and kind of like covered in fabric or something it's just never i've never really been a fan of that effect i I do think it's creepy but i don't know i'm just not i don't know i just don't like it (laughs) not like i don't like it like i like it's scary it's just like i don't know it just feels like so what's throw this in here yeah like i don't really see the reason for it i don't love it either but i for some reason i don't mind it in stuff like wreck or um or even in some James Wan movies because uh, I think it can look good and if and sometimes just the audio can really help it because like in James Wan movies there's like um bone like cracking sounds with every movement and it's kind of mm. makes it more effective yeah but yeah here it just a, a lot of the 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 visual like the aesthetic of this movie is kind of like a late nineties music video like especially the horror those the moments that kind of are more horror elements um if you feel like a like a marilyn manson music video or something you know from from this era mm. um yeah i i i like the scenes with larder and tay Diggs, um and i'm pro blood that of course right <laughs> <laughs> um but and we we did skip the i mean i guess i that's that's on me but the, the the basement itself the first reveal and all the um figures that are in various states of i guess preservation oh uh, yeah or oh, the little but, museum kind of right yeah. those were uh, those were pretty cool the, uh, the yeah they the, were pretty cool yeah they, they look cool I'll, I'll give it i'll give it that <laughs> begrudgingly they look cool yeah, very much in line with a Marilyn Manson uh, music video. Yes, yes, not unlike the uh, second half of Lost Highway. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a new review, but I I did think of one moment where I liked that that um, twitching body. There's a scene in the movie Good Night, Mommy, where 
someone's doing that in the woods and it's very haunting and very effective and uh so it's not always a fail for me just maybe 95 percent of the time mm. yeah i think it depends on the director because like the good night mommy uh directing duo i don't love good night mommy but i do love the lodge their follow-up movie yeah yeah me too um well that was so yeah i think i think it's a trope that's kind of over overdone but i, I think it, like in the right in the right filmmaker it, it can um it, 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 well some people just make it look better than other filmmakers mm. like the, like here that it's not it's done pretty it's pretty uninteresting the way they do it we'll have to that's a whole new list we um i i'm realizing too we, we did gloss over uh, a pretty important plot point of the gun party favors that oh yeah and the little crypt they cases. walk over to a coffin that's a party filled, favorite right there yes which is, <laughs> which is filled with floating mini coffins and inside each of those coffins is a pistol um which is <laughs> that is a heck of a party favor some of the characters grab these guns um, which will come into play later but again a cool visual so we uh we left off though um eddie eddie has saved sarah um but now melissa who i don't know this 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 is ever explained but why she goes off by herself um there's no real reason for her to leave the living room but she just does and then they realize that she's not there anymore so again kind of that trope of characters making dumb decisions they um, then go after her. They try to find her. They find a, a, a pretty, uh, a pretty decent trail of blood, um, and, uh, along with her video camera. And I, I like this effect. I like once it once because I think it just starts with an image of the the three, um, the the doctor and the two nurses on the video. And so you're not you're not sure what you're watching. Um, and then it pulls back and you realize that you're watching Melissa watching them on her video camera. Um, and then when they, you know, she makes a noise or something like that. And, and when they discover, you know, they, they all kind of turn their heads uh, towards towards her, towards, you know, and towards the audience. Um, I like that. That was effective. Um, it's very much like the that shining visual where um, Danny is going upstairs and he sees in the one of the bedroom, one of the hotel rooms. There's something weird dog. going on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. I really, I really, one of the, my favorite um, choices was the fact that like you see nothing going on in the room itself, but then on the camera, this scene is taking place. I really did like that mm-hmm. effect. That was cool. That was, yeah, yeah I thought that was yeah. pretty cool too. So that, you know, and, and again, kind of continuing this, yeah, this, this darker kind of, kind of trail downwards and, um so now you know at this point jeffrey rush is trying to figure out what's going on and he and he has an assistant who's kind of you know running the show behind the scenes and, and goes to ask him what's going on and he turns him around and this is this is a nice uh, face mutilation scene um i think the entire face is just missing so he got melon balled <laughs> yeah it, he, he if that hasn't been coined already that that needs to be coined in the the horror lexicon when your whole that face was, is scooped out that was my initial reaction melon bald i don't know if it's been used i haven't heard it but i haven't heard yeah, it either it no, was well. it was startling well to get that confirmed um but yeah that was a good one 
I'll mail it to myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Jeffrey Rush uh, looks at the surveillance monitors, which he then sees, um, as John, you have mentioned your favorite, a twitching face <laughs> apparition of Dr. Vaniket, who is walking yeah. around with a saw. Uh, and then, you know, looks over and sees Evelyn, who is now um, asleep somehow. And so he understands that she's in danger. So she, you know, he goes after her to go find her. Um, at which point the I think it's the uh, the lights start acting up and they all run downstairs to the uh, electroshock room, which Evelyn is now on a table in and is being um, shocked pretty, pretty aggressively. And um, before she's able to be saved, she she dies. Uh, Price, uh, Jeffrey Rush's character now, you know, uh, not really in control anymore, uh, does pull one of the aforementioned pistols out. Um, and pulls it on the guest, trying, you know, demanding to find out who killed his wife. Uh, during this, uh, Eddie, Tay Diggs' character, knocks him out, and they put Price into a saturation chamber, um, which was impressive looking uh, when, it, when it was first revealed. Um, but basically, uh, a big uh, room, uh, what do they say, that if, it, you know, if it'll drive a sane person mad, it'll drive a mad person sane. And so it was just a kind of a, a, a room to treat schizophrenics. And so they placed Jeffrey Rush in there. Um, and Blackburn, who was one of the guests, um, p- played by Peter Gallagher, who I have a soft spot for because I was a fan of the OC uh, in high school. So it's always fun <laughs> to see him in movies. I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, he volunteers to guard uh, Jeffrey Rush. And once they leave... Um, he has a little bit of, uh, you know, playing around with, with Jeffrey Rush, trying to pretend that he can't hear what he's saying. Um, Jeffrey Rush obviously wants to, to be released uh, from this chamber, but instead um, Peter Gallagher turns the chamber on, uh, which you know, starts this machine, and, and, and Peter, um, or Jeffrey Rush begins to see uh, some, some pretty interesting moving images and hallucinations. And and then um, Peter Gallagher Peter Gallagher then leaves uh, Vince or uh, Jeffrey Rush to his fate, which we're unsure of. Um, while this is happening, Sarah and Eddie, uh, again Ali Larder and, and Tay Diggs are, are walking uh, in the basement, and they come across Vanikit's office, and it's in here where they find uh, a photo of the uh, hospital staff. And they realize um, that the the survivors, the the staff members in this photo, every party guest is a descendant. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. For me, it's a fun connection. It wasn't really necessary um, to have you know the five B uh, descendants of of the hospital staff. Um, but I know that I guess it kind of you know explains why they're why why they're all there. Um, what do you guys think about, you know, at this point along in the movie? Yeah, I do like the, is it the saturation chamber? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do like that as well. And I like when, um, I think it's actually pretty well done when Famke Jensen is being shocked. Yeah. Yep. Like her, her performance there, I, I, I think is pretty good too. Um, there's some good tension there with how long it takes them to try and turn the thing off. Like it's, it's going for a long time. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good stress-inducing moment as well. Yeah, and I do. Oh, well, did we already? Did we all talk about when you see, um, like the surgeon and the nurses, like through her camera? We talked about that already, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't happening in real life, but it, yeah, it was happening. On it was the happening camera. on camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was fun. And then yeah, just I mean, again, kind of. You, you, we still haven't found her yet. Um, Melissa, the the alley larder lookalike. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, clearly things are, are you know, the, the house at this point is taking over. Um, we, we then find out that, that Blackburn, uh, Peter Gallagher's character, is Evelyn's lover. And that, that was a fun reveal. Um, they, they really hadn't kind of done much with his character at this point. Like, he was just kind of there. And so that kind of, you know... In any movie, you, you have those lulls, and then you know a, a story done well kind of gets you back interested. And 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 that was you know that for me here. You then real you know kind of creepy. Uh, he begins caressing what you think to be um, <laughs> Famke Jensen's corpse, um, and I think makes a pretty creepy line about her being more attainable or something in her current state. Uh, yeah, and how how cool she feels to the to the touch or something. That's I think pretty... yeah, he touches he touches her you know inner thigh and just says, "Cool," <laughs> <laughs> which you know it, it makes sense later on. But you know, he then grabs a syringe with with some sort of um, substance and and injects it, and she quickly wakes up, which she then finds that um, they have obviously faked her death, and they are hoping to um, frame. Uh, price for the you know Jeffrey Rush's character for for the murders, and they hope that one of the guests will kill him in self-defense. You know, again, um, giving pistols out at, at a party in a haunted house is probably not a good idea. Um, but then th- this this caught me off guard. Uh, they're they're talking about uh, how to you know they they've kind of messed up the the prior murders. Oh, they, well they can't find Melissa's body, so they have nothing um, to to frame. Jeffrey Rush's character for because there's no evidence. And so at this point, um, Peter Gallagher asks, you know, well, well, who could they, you know, use to, to, to frame Jeffrey Rush, which then, um, Famke Jansen just quickly and pretty, uh, yeah, heartlessly is a good word. Um, kills him, stabs him several times with a scalpel. Um, and then she goes over and releases Jeffrey Rush from the saturation chamber um, he experienced, uh, I, I like the hallucination scene. Um, I, I like the black and white with the red for, for the blood and just kind of the splash of color. But I mean, what, what did you guys think about that part? Um, I like that effect within the chamber where it's almost like one of those flip books where the image is just like being just re- repeated. And then like, you see like movement of the character and it kind of becomes real as he's as he's like hallucinating over and over. It was that was a pretty cool effect. Um, I knew that um, Famke Johnson wasn't going to be dead from watching the original, or at least I thought so. But then like this scene of Gallagher being creepy goes on for so long. I'm like, maybe she isn't going to come back this time. <laughs> maybe this is just a really weird choice of. Uh, really creeping creepy gallagher like yeah it's true gallagher is like nothing 
and then he then he messes with uh, Jeffrey Rush in the saturation chamber, and now he's he, he goes from like zero to a hundred pretty quickly, and then back to zero. Yeah. He's dead. <laughs> it's quite a ride he goes on there. Uh, he does. He has. I will say he has. He has one of the better death scenes or death discovery scenes. Yeah, that was so. a good little twist. Her just deciding he would be the the victim to frame uh, Jeffrey Rush with. That was uh, like right after you see oh they're lovers and now she kills them uh, mm-hmm. and just like pretty brutally. You know, it's small. It's a pretty small knife, and just like she's just like going to town <laughs> on his gut there. Not not uh, much of a lover. Yeah. No, uh, he he did not see it coming. That's for sure. Um. Yeah, I I do like I like that scene as well. Now, um, speaking about him, you know, uh, you know caressing uh, Famke Jensen there, we didn't mention that Tay Diggs. Uh, earlier in the movie, he sort of puts his hands on the posterior of Ali Larder <laughs> to help her climb up on, onto something. Yeah, I almost mentioned. And yeah, <laughs> I she kind of shrugs it off, and um, that would never happen in a movie now, and it'd be shrugged off like that. It's almost treated as a moment of like them, you know, romantically kind of like beginning their journey together it's almost like flirting right yeah she's like oh you kind of like uh you know yeah like like you're saying like like brushes it off like kind of playful but they don't know each other you know up until this point so look yeah and and i do think oh sorry okay Okay. it's a fine line between flirting and harassment if chris (laughs) katan was doing that boost no (laughs) chance but tay diggs He's got a chance, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he was doing it necessarily. Well, it's kind of he had a go right away. It's a little bit inappropriate, but I don't think he's like it's it's not as he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, but it could have it could have been worse, I guess. Like mean, now, it's like I mean, it's still bad. It's just like I think they had already established a little bit of a chemistry. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds terrible. What I'm saying is probably <laughs> Cancel myself. <laughs> it's all right. If you have chemistry, it's okay. Uh, no, but I, I do think Key like, Davis is one of the like he he's a I think he's probably the most likable character. Like he's not sarcastic or anything. He is yeah. the most likable too. I think yeah. And so, and there's a it fun is kinda, reveal, it's, yeah. It is kind of weird that they, that they have that, but I mean, it didn't. Uh, I wasn't too upset. <laughs> It's yeah, it's pretty. It, it goes back to creepy pretty quickly after that. Um, it, you, filmmakers just move right on. But that little reveal, like John, like you said, it's it's pretty zero to one hundred, back to zero, in a in a pretty quick time frame there. Um, but they, uh, our trio of of Sarah and Eddie and, and Pritchett, um, you know, they they then they find Price. Um, he's he's covered in blood. He's moaning. Um, I, they 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 have quickly are not right before they had discovered Blackburn. Um, he was in the uh, the saturation chamber, and I, I I like this too, where his his face is kind of up against the window, and they open the door, and you discover that his head <laughs> yeah has been removed from his body, and it's just his head sitting up there in the window, and his you know that opens and his body falls down. I I 
that was a, that was a nice little uh, little gore factor there, gore bump. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool as well. That was a, yeah, it was a that was a fun effect. It uh, is kind of they, funny that Peter Gallagher, like the the two movies he made in 1999, were House on Haunted Hill and American Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> He's got he's got range. He's so, got range. Uh, uh, what were you gonna say, John? Something they set up pretty well in this. Um, someone who is deceitful and a prankster, talking about Jeffrey Rush here, uh, eventually is gonna you know be in distress and ask for help and. You know, who's going to believe him at that point? They set that up pretty well, I think, um, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Just you can't trust this person. Um, and so, yeah, that is set up well to yeah, where Sarah um, hears some 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 crying, you know, some some you know, pleas for help. And then, you know, discovers Price, who, you know, again, is, is, is fairly messed up. He's he's a little crazy. He's been in that chamber for far too long, uh, covered in blood. And again, don't give people pistols for party favors. Um, you know, she pulls a gun on him, and and he keeps approaching her, you know, asking for help, and leaving her no choice but to uh, empty the entire clip into. I, uh, I Jeffrey think she Rush. had a choice. I think she had a choice, and she just chose to shoot the hell out of him. It was, yeah, not just one. And I think yeah, Eddie. Eddie makes a, a a comment of you know they go to take the gun out and he's like well there's almost no point because she emptied it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did I did like him uh, no, you know, pointing that out but uh, she you know Sarah kills uh, Vincent Price. Um, he has a nice little death scene falling you know and, and laying there next to the to the stairs. Um, and they they the three of them leave and then Evelyn. Um, I, I liked her 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 outfit here at this point. It was kind of a that same nightdress, but it, I don't know if it's water or if it's blood or you know whatever that you know she's kind of been you know running around in this basement in and, and is you know like I don't know soaking up. It, it made for a good effect. It was almost kind of like ghostly. Um, it's a good look. It's a good look for yeah. It's a good yeah, I thought it looked uh, kind of ghostly too. It was yeah. It was it was fun. So. She uh, she approaches Price. She she believes that her mission has been accomplished. Um, tells him that you know, from the moment that she saw him, uh, she fell in love with. And then she pauses and then says, "His money." And then you know, I like the little zinger of of basically being disgusted by him from the moment that, you know his his physical presence from the moment that they met, moment they met, uh, and which is at this point that. Uh, we find out that Jeffrey Rush is not dead. He quickly reaches out and grabs her by the throat. Um, grabs Evelyn by the throat. I, I, I like this reveal. Again, it wasn't so surprising because of his character and the role that he played. And again, that trickster um, character. But um, they then they then tussle and fight. It's pretty one-sided. And um, Jeffrey Rush throws her through um, a previously foreshadowed door, um, which I, you know, we didn't talk about that, but you know, kind of like the 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 blood that began moving when they kind of did a close up on it. But um, she's thrown through that door and into what is known as the darkness, the the evil core of the house. 
Um, and it's at this point we, we begin to see you know, something in the floor or some sort of presence um, uh, <laughs> on, the, on the floor, which, again, it's the 90s, so we'll uh, have to you know, give it some grace, I suppose. But um, anyway, the darkness uh, makes its way quickly, and Jeffrey Rush attempts to save Evelyn. Um, she is not quite that fortunate, doesn't escape, and the darkness, this form of you know various spirits now so you know, it grabs her adding her to to its mass um at this point you know uh, jeffrey rush is obviously freaked out and, 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 and attempts to flee we <laughs> we find out what happened to melissa um she <laughs> she had a rough go of it that was that was a little wild <laughs> i think just her various parts of her body hanging in a <laughs> cabinet. Um, that was a, yeah, that was a, that was a fun reveal. Um, but at this point, you know, they, they begin the, the, the darkness is, is free. And what did you guys think about this reveal here of, of, of the darkness? It turns into, I mean, I don't know right away, but it turns into this weird, um, hellish rorschach test with mm, <laughs> mm-hmm. disembodied oh, yeah. heads uh did not like that part at all uh and it's, it's, not, it's just it's just looks ridiculous to me now as the darkness is that kind of like the it's almost like this large it's almost like a ghost but it's kind of like a, a collection of of ghosts all within kind of like a dark cloudy yeah, and they, IG, yeah. Image. some of them pop out at different times and say little things and pop back in. Like everyone who has died, yeah, in that house, I think, is part of this this mass. Yeah, now why? Now that, <laughs> there are there are <laughs> yeah, a lot of like explaining this part. There are a lot of naked people in the yeah. mass, right? Yes. Yeah. I I don't understand that choice. Like, is that? Is that supposed to make it get uh, creepier? Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess. Uh, I just don't know. Yeah, it's a good yeah. question. I, mean, I guess it's just a 90s aesthetic. I, although I don't know if there's music videos that have something quite like it. But yeah, just, this thing. Um, they got yeah, that R rating and they, they wanted to go for it, you know maximize yeah the uh the limits of the r rating yeah but tastefully you know not not gratuitous yeah no this is this is a tasteful film yeah (laughs) um yeah the darkness yeah not not the greatest effect i think john you you talked about uh the shortcomings of the effect here or, or earlier yes not a fan any anything about it the way it looks, the what, what, how it acts, how it's used. Um, I was warned. I think I was warned. I posted that I was watching it, this movie, and someone said um, I enjoyed it until the CGI climax. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't even go that. Far, but yeah, this is definitely the weakest part of the film for me. Um, I mean, I feel like endings are the toughest thing to write, but just like this, 
this cluster Rorschach naked disembodied head. One of them assisting at one point, assisting the the uh, protagonists. It's really strange. Oh, yeah. Weird. That was a yeah. really strange choice. <laughs> I just my note is ghost Chris Catan, comma oof. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's an oof. Yeah, this, it's not actually not the biggest oof for me of this climax, but it's probably second. It is, yeah. It's it's not great, and so it does have the feel of a movie that you know had been going well, and then this, and then I don't know the studio, the director, someone said, "Hey, let's let's wrap this thing up," because um, it moves pretty quick. These last you know fifteen twenty minutes. Um, whatever at whatever point that the darkness is is released, um, moves pretty quickly. It it, it goes to the house. It, it kills Pritchett, uh, Chris Kattan's character. The um, the three Jeffrey Rush, Tay Diggs, and and um, Ali Larder uh, escape through the attic. Um, Jeffrey Rush uh, you know, sacrifices himself to to open up. Um, or give you know the two of them time to escape out the out the window, but uh, right before Eddie can can escape and and, and leave the house, uh, the darkness severs uh, the rope that's holding up the um, the metal gate the to the to the window, and as it's attempting to uh, assimilate Eddie into into the mass, uh, Eddie reveals that he is adopted and not actually a true descendant. Um, I <laughs> this didn't do anything actually because it's right after this that the Chris Kattan's character's ghost appears and so there's no real reason for him to reveal he's adopted. Um, but regardless, uh, the darkness is distracted. the The window is now open, and Eddie escapes with Sarah, who are on a a, a fairly um, tall ledge. And they ask a good question of how are we going to get down? And that question is not answered. Um, but that leads us to our to our end. And uh, as they're kind of taking all the events of this previous night in, they discover an envelope that's you know in the in the window sticking out. And when they open the uh, envelope, it is the five million dollars. Number one uh, for me. That, that <laughs> the envelope is right there. I'm going to believe everything else in this movie as fact if that envelope was not. I just can't buy that envelope being there. <laughs> it's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> I for, a, for that. <laughs> for a quick second, I was kind of hoping because Tay Diggs kind of just kind of takes him out and, and isn't really protective of them, and it's kind of windy. I was mm-hmm. thinking that the wind might take the checks, yeah, um, and he might fall or something. I don't know, and that's you know that's the dark alternative ending. Um, but no, that does not happen, and they 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 keep all five million and and then credits. So it's too bad yeah. that it's too bad that Allie Larder wasn't wearing a crown that Tay Diggs could have gone after. <laughs> that would have been a really good ending and then and then in the end she has the envelope and all the money she has all the money to herself hmm. uh, I, we, you know it's been it's been a few years it could be time for a remake yeah I believe there was a direct to DVD sequel in 2007 
There is a sequel. Now, a remake. Now, House on Haunted Hills. That could be good. Where this it, this is happening in a bunch of different locations. Mm. Well, multiple hills. Yeah. Multiple houses. Mm. Or it could be like House on Haunted Beverly Hills. I mean, there's a lot of stuff <laughs> to do with that with that title. House on Haunted Hill ha- Hills Have Eyes. Ooh, I like that too. Oof, yeah, some little universe building. Um, but, but no, so uh, this was, I will say, I, I, I enjoyed this more of the two. Um, as Me far too. as star ratings, yeah, I, I went with Not three. Me. I gave it a three star. Two stars for me. I gave it a, a 2.5. I, 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 overall, I had a good time. And I will say, I wasn't going to say this, but... I, I do think at least a star goes to Ali Larder. Um, I'm a fan. I'll just say that. I, I do. I am a, an Ali Larder fan. I said early on, the longer she lives in this film, the longer I stay interested. So. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, yeah, she's 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 a keeper. Yeah. No. Be good I rate her way higher than someone like Deborah Carr. Now, we didn't get into this, and I <laughs> wanted to, but Max, I just want to talk to you. Um, now, do you... Okay, so you discover an actress from the past. You go through their entire filmography. Um, is, is the way you select movies to watch, is it primarily based off of um, actresses from the golden age of Hollywood that you discover? It's more, yeah, that's a good, I'm more of a completionist. And so if you throw a collection up on a streaming service, there's something in my brain that, that wants to complete that collection. Mm. And so I don't know how it came about. I think I, I think I watch an affair to remember and then saw, oh, there's a bunch of Deborah Carr movies on the Criterion channel. And then discovered, oh, it's because of the whole collection that's on there. And so it's like, you know, I want to f- I want to finish that and say I, I watched all X movies of this actor, actress, um, genre, whatever it might be. So it just so happened to be uh, Deborah Carr this this past month. Um, and I will say, yeah, she she's got some great performances uh, again, very nuanced, pretty extensive filmography, but there's real, there's really no rhyme or reason. We'll we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, so you you also watched the bird with the crystal plumage, part of the Ennio Morricone collection, right? Right. You have not watched Hitchhike or what have you done to Solange? Or a number of other movies from the Ennio Morricone collection. Is that correct? That is correct. And he is... Um, now, he does yeah. not appear on screen. And no. he's not a woman from the golden age of Hollywood. No, he's not, unfortunately. So, <laughs> you know, it's, the pieces are coming together. Um, yes, okay. But, it, yeah, it, it, for whatever reason... You know, and I'll, you know, Criterion, we should just get sponsored by them, but they have some great collections. 
Uh, and it, it gets hard to pick, you know, of, of which one's which. But So if they did a Robert Mitchum collection, would you be interested? Oh, I'd watch it. Or would it have to be yeah. a Jane Greer, a frequent uh, co-star of his? I mean, if it was both... You know, then then it's a guaranteed. No, I I, I would I would do a, a Robert Mitchum, sixteen okay. seventeen film collection. Challenge, okay. challenge accepted there. Right, I meant to bring that it's, up earlier when it was um, more relevant to the discussion, <laughs> but uh, it's always but relevant. Then I, but you know. then we started talking about Ali Larder, and I was just like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention to you're flustered. Max is the obsession. No worries. Right. We need the Ali Larder collection. You know. Where's yes. that on Criterion? That would be, I would support that. Criterion I needs to do more kind of general audience stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that would be pretty cool. You would have to watch four Resident Evils. Oh, is she in all of them? Uh, yeah. Yep. And hmm. three Final Destinations. I think that collection is pretty cheap on Blu-ray. I'll do the Destinations. I don't know about the Resident Evils. Yeah, I, I'll def, I would rewatch the Final Destinations. They're pretty fun. Um, I did. Oh, I didn't add that. Yeah, I, I, I watched the first two. I'm, I'm making my way through those slowly, but not much is, to say about them. Is Allie Larder in both of the first two? Yep, she, she is. In, or yeah. she in the second and the third? First and second. First and second, and okay. Then, and then in the, the 2009, The Final Destination, which I think was the fourth one. Oh yeah, that movie's terrible. Uh, the, the second one, one is that the one with the car accident? The, the highway, yeah. The huge, yeah. That's a pretty fun movie. The fourth one is the racetrack, which was also a one star for for you. Yes, that's a t- just a gross looking shot on HD movie. It, it, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> when we when we get to two thousands horror, maybe that'll be my pick. Oh. No, that would be cruel. That would be that would be just the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but so that was so we said yeah. So I, I gave it uh, three. John, you were two. Hunter, you were two and a half for House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. All yep. right. So that well that wraps up uh, individual watches here for for October. Um, next week we'll be diving into uh, our top five first-time horror movie watches. Uh, obviously, for October, you, you've got to get your horror in. Um, so I'll definitely be curious to see what we bring to the table for that. All right, that, that about wraps us up here for this episode. Um, you can find us uh, at, on Instagram at semi underscore cinematic and John on Facebook. Uh, what's that again? It's uh, facebook.com slash semi-cinematic, no underscore, just all one word. And as always, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Can't wait. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.